Graham, welcome to Beyond the Fences World Cup special episode three, probably the final episode, although you never know. Um, usual guest as always, Ben Smith from Seven West. Yes, got it right this time. <laughs> hey Ben, how you doing, mate? Uh, I'm surprisingly better than I thought I was going to be. You know, I, I think it took me all of about an hour to like process and get over the game. <laughs> yeah, it was... Uh... I think as we no one expected us to really give Argentina a shake, the fact that we a got within a goal of them and b could have even sent it to extra time had had a um, scored had, uh, had Amy Martinez's it, armpits not been so flabby and like gotten in the way. If he had yeah, toned, that, if he had toned armpits or like toned yeah. triceps, that would have gone in. There you go. Very important lesson. Don't don't ever skip armpit day. You never know when it might come in handy. Well, no, you skipped it because they sagged down low enough. Oh, oh, that's what. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I get what you. Mean. I thought you were trying to say you had like really like buff arm. No, trimmed no, no. out. <laughs> no, no, it's just get the, we're off the rails already. No. Yep. <laughs> the uh, the chemistry here is just uh, it's as excellent as always. <laughs> it's um, on the same wavelength. Yeah, I, I feel like. Well, okay, first we should address, obviously we're not lucky charms like we thought we were. No, we, th- it was, uh, we had a good run of two games and then uh, uh, it all fell apart. It was, you know, it was a shock to everyone, I think ourselves included. Yeah, I'm, you know, I've gotten a few hate messages, hate emails, you know, you cost us the game, your previous podcast wasn't good enough. And, that's, and those are just ones from me as well. I didn't get that. <laughs> you and, you and my, my family. <laughs> didn't, didn't get the boys over the line no but i think look moral victories suck and it, like it doesn't yeah. matter what sport it is like i hate the people that are always like oh you know like we, we at least gave it a good shout um we, we didn't you, resort to uh to base stealing like the springfield isotopes no <laughs> no and it's um like you know that the people that are like oh just you know proud of the boys like the proud of the effort merchants and all that sort of stuff like i hate that um, but I feel like that's exactly the mode I flipped into after yeah. the game because, you know, all things considered, it's obviously not a level playing field when you look at the two teams and the expectations of both the countries and just the value of the squads out there, the talent on show, um, like probably one of Messi's shoelaces is worth more than <laughs> the combined transfer fees of like the entire 26 man squad for the Socceroos. Uh, but you know. At the end of the day, we took the world number three, I want to say. Yeah, to, to almost like to within a whisker of extra time. I don't think we got outplayed. I think there was a, a certain degree of self-infliction in how, we, or definitely the second goal, but even <laughs> even the first goal with just, you know, conceding silly free kicks. But all that being said, I think, you know, proud of the effort. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I don't think we, um, it was kind of a weird game because I don't think we deserve to win and I think we would have been slightly lucky to have come away with a draw and taken that into extra time but it wasn't as if like Argentina played us off the pitch and we did actually have good patches during the game uh it was yeah I think like Argentina were kind of comfortable until we got that freak goal and then it was like hang on we might be on here these guys like and you just everyone's just thinking the same thing oh my god like Argentina are starting to look a bit suspect uh, once we got that heavily deflected Craig Goodwin goal. And um, I, I think we do, like, we have to take stock of our own reality. I think um, if you'd said before the tournament we were going to be, you know, 
we would have a chance in the last minute of a of a knockout game to take Argentina to extra time. You would take that at the start of a tournament every single time. And um, you know, the fact that we got the win against Tunisia and the win against Denmark, we'll ignore the France game. Um, but the fact that we put in those good performances against, you know, especially Denmark, where we, you know, we suffered for the opening half an hour and then were, you know, arguably the better team after that. Um, if you'd offered us offered it offered us that before the uh, before the tournament began, we'd take it in a heartbeat. And it's all about really adjusting expectations. Um, you know, as you know, as things progress, and uh, you know, at first it was like, can we score? A, can we score a goal or take a point from this <laughs> World Cup? And then we scored four goals, all of them from open play, no set pieces. Uh, admittedly, I think all of them were counterattacks, apart from Craig Goodwin's goal against Argentina, which was an own goal or a heavily deflected strike, uh, depending on who you speak to. Uh, we, you know, for periods of games, we took it to the opposition. Um, you know, I don't think. I mean, I don't. I think we can still quibble with you know some of the tactics and some of the games, and you know, I don't think it's too much to ask for. Uh, for the soccerers to be maybe have been a bit more adventurous in some of those games. Um, but that's all kind of part of, you know, what can we do next time to improve? You know, like we shouldn't just be sitting back and going, wow, we had a good tournament. We don't, we can do this again four years later. It's kind of going, okay, we had a good tournament, but how do we improve on that? What could we have done this time, which would have been, you know, which may have helped us and, you know, may help us in the future somewhere down the road. Yeah. I don't know. Did you see the, um, what was it? The, the 10 point, post world cup plan or i did not no um i assume it's to naturalize uh more scottish center backs <laughs> yeah harry Souter. Uh, um again like against argentina best uh our best player against argentina again i thought he was uh he wasn't as good as he was against tunisia or denmark but you know he dealt with pretty much everything argentina threw at him yeah sorry uh i misread because I didn't actually click on it. it it's not a 10-point <laughs> plan. It's it's 10 things to build on. It's on code. It's an Adam Peacock thing. Right. Uh, but I, I'm calling it a 10-point plan for world domination. <laughs> um, you know, it's basically things to build on, things to fix, et cetera, et cetera. I think, I think we should probably start with the first point, actually, because the first one is coaching conundrum and, like, where the soccerers go from here. I know uh, Arnie's on a break now and nothing's going to be decided for, you know, not until the new year, I probably I would have thought, but from everything that I've heard through all my sources and my sources being the, the media, um, <laughs> it, it seems like it's his job if he wants it, which is a pretty um, stark change in public opinion. And, <laughs> and like what we're all hearing going into the world cup. Yeah, well, I wrote before the World Cup, um, I had a column and I said basically Graham Arnold's legacy would be shaped by this World Cup. And uh, it proved to be actually, it's aged very well because his legacy has gone from being, you know, after the France game, it was like this guy, the Tunisia game might be like the deciding game of his tenure. Like if he loses that, he's definitely gone no matter what happens against Denmark. Um, and instead we beat Tunisia, beat Denmark, make it out of a group stage for the second time in history. And Arnie is now a national hero. Um, he, you know, I've, you know, for all my criticism of him, which I think in the lead up of the tournament was valid because I don't think we played well for the past year heading into the tournament. Um, you know, he 
proved himself to be a very canny tournament manager. I know that, you know, the France game, uh, you know, we got smacked. I think we, there are definitely ways, we, you know, in the moment and both in, upon reflection, it felt like we that game got away from us and maybe Arnold didn't, you know, kind of didn't really do it enough to arrest the, the way that game was going. But against Denmark and Tunisia and even Argentina, I thought he did a really good job. Like the first half an hour of the Argentina game, um, they were forcing Messi to come deep for the ball, um, which was like what a few people had said in the in the lead up to the game was that's kind of how you limit Messi's influence by kind of sending him, you know, making him hunt for the ball in deep areas. And the soccer did a very good job of that in the opening half an hour against Argentina. And, um, you know, for all his Arnold's uh, controversial decisions in, in, in terms of squad selection, in ter- like leaving Mitch Langerak out when he arguably had a case to be the starting goalkeeper, uh, leaving Adam Taggart out, leaving Trent Sainsbury out, um, leaving Tom Rogic out. Um, you know, he had reasons for, you know, behind, he had valid reasons for, you know, dropping the, the final three, although, the Lang- you know, there's still a good argument. They all should have gone and Langerak especially definitely should have been there. Um, in the, his actual in tournament management from the you know from a Tunisia game onwards was fantastic. Uh, you know the by all accounts the vibe around the squad was perfect. Uh, you know it sounds like every player who was there had a wonderful time, loved their teammates. Well, you know, and like the you know the the way they took on board you know Ali's message of the you know the boxing kangaroo and the Aussie DNA and it's you know it's nationalistic jingo and it's a bit cringeworthy but they bought into it and they you know we did have you know as we said before like every game you you can't fault any of the players of their effort from in the Tunisia game the Denmark game or the Argentina game and that's a credit to Graham Arnold and what he was able to do with this squad in terms of you know marshalling them getting them to buy into you know the way he wanted them to play and yeah it wasn't the prettiest football like no one's going to look at that and say like this is how football this is the perfect way to play football but it got results um and it got results on the biggest stage of all and you know his man management during the tournament was obviously excellent you you look at someone like Keanu Bacchus, who was literally the 27th man in the squad, was only basically only um, put in by the sounds of it because uh, Christian Volpato turned down the Socceroos' opportunity. Um, and yet he played, uh, I think, all four games. And he started against Argentina. And I actually thought uh, he was a bit stiff to be taken off against Argentina because I, I thought he was actually not too bad in the in middle of the park. And, yeah, it was... Dis- um, I think Arnold has... He's earned the right to to another contract, which I didn't think I'd be saying before. <laughs> no, I, I don't. It's weird because I'm not a big fan of results based analysis, but I think you kind of. Like I say, to... I'm not a big fan of results. <laughs> yeah, style. I don't care if we uh, if we win every game. If we play terribly. I just want. I just I would rather us play like awesome Total football and, lo- and lose six nil every game. Um, but no, like he's got. He has got results and, you know, maybe the style of football will, won't hold up long, you know, long term, but we don't know that yet. And he deserves the opportunity to prove that, you know, he can take us further if he so wishes to, um, yeah, yeah. you know, as you know, he's on holiday at the moment. Uh, he, he deserves a holiday. He, you know, he has done an incredible job of just maybe if the results weren't there before the, um, before during qualifying but what he had to deal with through COVID in terms of you know like 
managing the squad when there were no games, you know, kind of ensuring that, you know, the Socceroos were not going to be cut adrift during COVID. Um, you know, the, the sacrifices you had to make in terms of, you know, quarantining and whatnot in, uh, you know, in Asia, away from family to, you know, to actually get the Socceroos to the World Cup are pretty strenuous. And he did an incredible, you know, it was incredibly incredible mental job by Arnold, you know, just to the toughness he showed over the course of his, over the course of his tenure has been remarkable. And, you know, he, did, he, if anyone deserves a holiday, it's him. And, you know, I think if he wants to test himself overseas again, I think now's a very good time to do it. Um, if he feels like he can take the Socceroos squad further, he's shown uh, at this tournament that he deserves the right to prove that he, that he can do that. And, um, you know, like like I've said, I don't think anyone expected us to be saying that before the tournament. But <laughs> he has managed, you know, well, you know, he has exceeded expectations of this tournament, and therefore he deserves to take us into the next era if that is what he wants. But I, what I will say um, is that he's going to be measured against this for the rest of his tenure if he decides to go on, um, and this is he has set the bar with this. Um, he needs to, you know, equal it or level it, you know, at the eight, uh, in terms of performance at the Asian Cup and in qualifying for the next World Cup. Yeah, uh, going back a little bit, I'm glad you mentioned Keanu Bacchus and I'm really annoyed that I didn't put this in writing somewhere on the internet so I can't point at it and go, my God, I'm a genius. But I was actually saying to myself, um, which sounds insane, but... I was actually thinking before the Argentina game, gee, you know what? If I was going to make a change, I don't know if it would be uh, starting Aiden Hrustic for like McGree, like everyone seemed to think was maybe the one that was going to happen. Like I would consider starting Bacchus. I, I considered dropping Irvine, which is, you know, probably a little bit harsh, but that was just my like left field idea. It, I was half right. Um, but again, there's no proof to that. So you'll just have to take my word for it that I am just so incredibly in tune with the tactics of the team. Yeah, I I think I thought I thought that he would bring Bacchus in after his second half effort against uh, Denmark. I wasn't completely sure. And, you know, throwing in Bacchus against, you know, a pretty strong, you know, Argentina midfield was always going to be a risk, but he didn't disgrace himself. And I thought he was probably the best of the midfielders. Um, I actually don't think it would have been, um, you know, I, I don't think it would have been, wrong for him to have uh for for Jackson Irvine to have been dropped I think he has I think he struggled throughout the tournament um and I actually thought um I think I said to you after the Denmark game when Bacchus came on and uh Irvine was pushed up a bit I actually thought he was a lot better and I can't remember my first half record I think he had a better first half against Argentina when Bacchus was on the pitch and he was able to sit a bit higher than he did when Arnold took Bacchus off. McGree kind of came into the middle and um, Irvine dropped deeper. And I think we lost um, Irvine when that move was made. Uh, and he he needs to be higher up the pitch for me. He's not someone who I think is all that comfortable. He's a box-to-box midfielder, but he is a box-to-box midfielder in the sense that he likes to get forward from deep positions and can make impacts in the final third rather than being you know, someone who can dictate play deep. Um, and I think we really, that's why I think, you know, 
I was in support of Bacchus or, you know, earlier before the tournament camp, Devlin maybe starting alongside Aaron Moy to, you know, to provide a bit of support to Moy. Um, and yeah, Bacchus again, he's had a meteoric rise. I mean, I never was as out on him during his A-League men days. I always thought, like, I know he was a bit of a meme, but I kind of was like, I saw some things I liked, even if there were other games where I'd go, gee, he's having a stinker. I, there were kind of signs that I was like, I kind of liked him as a player, um, but there just wasn't like enough consistency to uh, to demand it. And, you know, he's he was great at this tournament for, you know, from what I'd expected for him to come in as the, the last man and then play every single game starting as Argentina and not disgrace himself once was pretty incredible. Um, you mentioned Cam Devlin then it's raised a little point that I want to bring up. Was there anyone in the squad that didn't end up appearing at all in the tournament that you would have liked to see, like just chucked on, given a chance? Andrew Redmayne for the lols, but <laughs> uh, yeah, imagine, imagine, just imagine the scene we're trailing 2 1 against Argentina. Andrew Redmayne is on the sidelines in a yellow Socceroos jersey, ready to come on. Also, target man. Yeah, just like um, like Man City did with uh, David James back in the day. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever seen the video, but David James. I, I, yeah, I have. Yeah, and yeah. he puts in an absolute like you know, shocker of a tackle on someone. <laughs> he, he takes a really bad touch, slides in to try and win it back, and ends up just going starts up into some poor guy's leg. Yeah. It's uh, it's one of it's one of those videos on the internet. I'm probably going to watch it again tonight now, just because it brings me so much joy. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, uh, on a serious note, I think Cam Devlin, but like Bacchus did a good enough job to kind of justify his selection over him. Um, I'm a big Cam Devlin fan. Um, I actually work with his cousin Pete as well. Pete's a stand-up bloke, so um, oh, the, the, the fix is the truth comes out. You're going to try and get a piece of that message. I did when um, when Pete was in on Monday or the day after the game. I said, Pete, Pete, can you? He Cam's bringing the uh, the message jersey here, right? Like you can you can bring that in for us, surely. And he was like, I assume it's been framed in my uh, framed somewhere in Sydney already, but. Uh, I would have liked to see, like, it's hard to tell because I'm sure Graham Arnold had a really good idea of who was training well. And in terms of, like, player selection, for the most part, like, I, there are games I probably would have dropped Irvine because, I, you know, I think he underperformed all tournament and there are times where I thought Moy was pretty average. But I can understand that, you know, Arnold's kind of, what Arnold's argument would be for starting both of them. You know, you need that veteran presence in there. You can't just start a bunch of rookies at a World Cup. And, you know, Moy, I thought, was good against Tunisia, even though even if he was kind of very erratic and inconsistent throughout the other games. Um, but apart from that, I thought Arnold pretty much got his squad selection right. Like, Craig Goodwin proved him right. Mitch Duke over Jason Cummings, you know, like that was... Uh, before the tournament, I was saying Cummings should start... Uh, I would have taken Taggart over Duke before the tournament. Uh, I wouldn't have taken Mitch Duke uh, in the 26 at all. Um, and yet Mitch Duke kind of did what Arnold really likes about him, which was he's good in the air, scored a header, um, ran his, you know, ran his heart, heart out, um, which he's, you know, he does every game and it, you know, it worked. I mean, he, we can talk about, you know, he was a bit isolated up front, which kind of isn't always the fault of a striker, but 
you know, you, you never slam his effort. He was fantastic in terms of his work rate. And, um, yeah, and even, the, you know, the Denmark game, he helped kind of uh, set up that lucky goal in a way by dropping deep, dragging a defender out of place, which is, you know, really, really good from him. Um, you know, in a perfect world, you kind of would like to see you know, Marco Tilio. He's a bit, bit of a different player as in that he likes to take players on uh, off the dribble. Uh, but again, like it's kind of hard to be to say he deserved to be going over Goodwin or Lecky or you know um, a woman Bill because you know, for one, Arnold sees all these guys in training every day and knows you know who's who's up to, who can cut to mustard who he trusts. Um, and the other thing is like well for the most part he did get his squad selection pretty nailed on some of his substitutions really during a tournament like Jamie McLaren against Denmark was uh, against Tunisia rather was a really good uh, decision because he just stretched the lines. He knew that yeah, Denmark were going to be, sorry, Tunisia were going to be stretched. And yeah, McLaren was you know really good at that impact role off the bench. Yeah, I'm looking through the squad now. Uh, there was only a handful of players. Six, that, I think it was six. Right? Yeah, the goalkeeper's not counted. There's Thomas yeah. Deng, Joel King, uh, Cam Devlin, Tilio. And yeah, the two keepers. It's um, kind of like how like, how many of those guys deserve to start over their players? Like as his, that, bait, well, his best tournament. Yeah, was, that, that's what Joel I was going to say. Joel like, King can't really get in. Like Milos Degenek made the right back decision his own, um, and uh, Harry Suter and Kai Rolls were great at centre back, so it was hard for Thomas Deng to get a look in. And then you know, like Keanu Backus took Cam Devlin's spot, and he did a good job as that kind of impact player off the bench in midfield and then um yeah like like well Tilly I was only in the squad because of Boyle being out in the first place so he was always fighting an uphill battle exactly and you know Awa Mobile probably didn't do a great job as an impact sub but it's like well Leckie and Goodwin kind of worked really hard um you know in every game um to varying degrees of you know impact but they both had moments um Leckie in particular obviously but yeah, it's hard to really argue, you know, convincingly for any of those guys to get. No, no. Uh, may, maybe Devlin over Moy or Irvine, but I also kind of understand that, you know, Arnold trusts the veterans and it would have been for Cam Devlin to come in and having only played like one soccerers game, I think, previously. Yep. Would have been really tough, uh, you know, to just drop him in there and, you know, go, there you go, like, enjoy it. <laughs> um, I, I, I will say this. Uh, before the start of the tournament, I was saying, you know, it's embarrassing that we still haven't found a um, a better left back than Aziz Beige. <laughs> but again, he's like this: the games he played, like, those are the, probably the three best games in a row I've seen him play for the national team after the France game. Like he, and even the France game, he wasn't even that bad. Like he was, he was under duress the entire game, but he kind of wasn't like. It wasn't his like they, they were targeting Nathan Atkinson more than anything. And Bayich, you know, he got exposed a couple of times, but it wasn't like he was, you know, um completely yeah. uh, was, it wasn't like he was a complete mess in that game. No. And like look, I, I like Joel King. Maybe that's just my Sydney FC coming up, but I like Joel King. And he's ten years younger than Bayich, so he's obviously got a million years to, yeah. you know, make that spot his own. Um Although there are a couple of other left backs kind of floating around as well. Yeah, we do but, left backs well in Australia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right backs not so much. Um, but left back, absolutely. Like I've been saying, we haven't really found a right back since um Luke Wilkshire. But, yeah, yeah. We well, we had a run where we had Brett Emerton and Luke Wilkshire 
Um, and then since then, I mean, Degenek was, I thought Degenek against um, Tunisia, uh, against Denmark. I keep make, I, you know why I keep getting those two mixed up? Because they both play in red. Because you're racist, that's why. <laughs> uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm colorblind, so I can't even tell that they're both in red. Yeah. So I, I, I don't really see color. So uh, yeah, 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 exactly. Good save, good save. Yeah. Um, yeah, but Degenek was great at right back. He was um, fantastic. Uh, I thought, for, you know, give, compared to some of the previous games I've seen him play for soccer is where I've been worried about him, especially at right back where I think he's a bit more awkward. I thought he defended well against Argentina, um, was probably had one of his better Socceroos games, if not his best Socceroos game against Denmark, where I think they really targeted him. And he he only really let him in, in behind a couple of times. And like on one of those occasions, it was because he was just overloaded and had too many men to deal with because Leckie was too tired to track back. Yeah. Um, but he was great. Um, yeah, that's a good point. We haven't really... I'm trying to think who was a right back before. Like Ivan Franich was a pretty solid servant, but he wasn't like... Um, you know, he was probably a step below Wilkshire and uh, Emerton. Well, he's definitely a step below Emerton. Maybe the gap between him and Wilkshire wasn't as, uh, wasn't as large. Yeah, as I, I mean... Remember. Ryan Grant's played 21 games, which surprises me. Ryan Grant, I think if he like I think Ryan Grant was a very ta- is a very talented A-League player who I think is now on the downswing, unfortunately, for him. But he's someone who definitely could have gone over to uh Europe had he wanted to. Um, I think he would have had suitors. And I kind of get a sense he would have gone really well. He's just kind of that sort of player where like Josh Risden as well is another one. Who like he was linked with moves to Europe for a while, but could never get a work permit because he hadn't played enough Socceroos games, and it was um, a bit of a shame for him. Like if Grant and Risden had gone over to Europe, I think they there's a good chance they would have been the two right backs at this World Cup. But hmm. um, yeah, unfortunately they didn't. And uh, you know, I think there's some you know going back to the left backs. You know, Alex goes back. I remember really liking him when he played A League, and then he hasn't really like ever kicked on unfortunately um i think he's like or he hasn't really had a look in at national team level uh in a long time no not for a while yeah i think he's which is a shame i remember confederations cup in like 2017 i think that was the last game he may have played for the Socceroos. um but he's getting like consistent game time in europe i think Um, yeah he's playing for uh grenoble in i i think that's the second tier of french league yeah Ligue two Ligue 3. Ligue 3. I yeah. mean, we also have uh, at A-League level, uh, Callum Talbot is a kind of decent player. Uh, Jacob Farrell from Mariners I quite like. And Geordie Boss has probably been, is I think, 20 years old and has probably been the best A-League left back this season for Melbourne City. So much so that he's keeping Scott Jamison out of the starting 11. Uh, yeah. I, I can't believe Scott Jamison still going around. He, yeah, he's, I think he's one of those players who he knows how to survive at a professional level. And, <laughs> um, and I mean that as a compliment. He just knows, no, he knows what his game is. He's very good at his game, even if he's not the, you know, the domineering player he once was. And he's probably not the best left back of the A-League anymore, but you know, he's, his, exper- his experience, he knows what he is. He knows his limitations, knows his strengths and just plays to his strengths and, you know, he's, you know, a good leader by all accounts. Um, yeah, so the fact that Geordie Boss is not just keeping him out of the starting 11, but 
probably the best player in his position all A-League season is 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 a really good sign for the national team, especially because he's only 20 years old and hopefully he gets a move overseas very soon. Yeah. Uh, one very, very minor thing before I move on to some of the other stuff in that, the 10-point plan to world domination. Maybe this is just me, but I am very annoyed that a defender was wearing number eight. Yeah, it doesn't sit right with me. A centre-back as well. Was it Rolls or? It was Bailey like, Wright. Bailey Wright, that's right, Yes. That was, yeah, I don't like that. It's like when, like, I remember seeing a striker wear five once and it was just... No, um, Aruna Kone wore number two as a striker for Wigan. Yes, I. that's right. It was an Italian striker who wore five once and I was like... Um, and no. Khalid Boularouz was a centre-back for Chelsea who wore number nine. That's right, yes. Yeah. the I believe they called him the, the Cannibal. I think that was his nickname. Well, he didn't break the number nine goal scoring curse at Chelsea. I know that much. <laughs> uh, anyway, so a couple of other things. Uh, fixtures. The Socceroos aren't playing again until March. Yes. Why? Why? Uh, for, no FIFA windows until March. Ah, that's irrelevant. <laughs> Just bring him back for a kick around in the park. Yeah. Melbourne people will pack out anything. Just put them in Goth's you know, paddock and uh, people will just crowd around and watch. Um, although James Johnson did say uh, on SEN yesterday that uh, he that bringing Socceroos, a Socceroos game and a Matildas game to Perth was a priority for them in 2023. Uh, so, and I, um, if you go on the west.com.au, uh, when this podcast is out, there will be uh, some government comments uh, about the possibility of that happening, which I wrote up today. Um, so, yeah, I mean, James Johnson did say when he was speaking to SEN that the brand of the soccer is kind of at an all-time high, and they're looking to leverage that by, you know, taking the soccer around the country, which I think is a good thing to do because they have been accused of being a bit Sydney-centric, Um you know, they did, they had a farewell game in Brisbane last year. Um, it, to be honest, though, like the Sydney, by the sounds of it, the New South Wales government stumps up the cash to actually entice the Socceroos to Sydney. So, so when you have a stadium that you call Stadium Australia, then yeah. you can have national team games. Yeah. Well, Amy, Amy is a uh, nas- beloved national institution at this point, isn't it? Surely Melbourne. Uh... Don't even, don't you dare. <laughs> um, like by the way, is it Amy have that um advert with a house with legs, right? Uh gee, you're yes. testing me. I don't really watch there's a there is an insurance company advert at the moment uh featuring a house that runs away with legs and it is a direct ripoff of Professor Frank's uh security houses from The Simpsons. And I'm shocked that no one else is like talking about it. I mean, well, they are. I'm sure the the national audience that this podcast reaches will now be up in arms over that that you've brought it up. It's it's like why are we not talking about this? I feel like it's just like big insurance has just kind of got away with this, and yeah. I seem to be the only one who notices. <laughs> no, this has missed my attention. Um, <laughs> uh, we should probably get back to that ten point plan. <laughs> we, I know I you've you've really half an I hour mean, at one point. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know. A few of them are just kind of like, you know, the, well, one of them was the, the fixtures, like who we're going to play was the main point. Yeah. Um, c- c- connecting with the fans through social media. I mean, that's a given. Yeah. Uh, A-League focus is probably a, a big one. Um, I, I think um, a few years ago or even a couple of years ago, the A-League was kind of in a similar place to 
the NBL in terms of like soccer is obviously a bigger sport in this country. I'm not disputing that, but in terms of a national league and national attention, they were kind of in similar places, but the NBL is kind of on this upward trajectory, getting a lot more attention. Whereas the A-League has kind of fallen off a little bit. And I think part of that is hiding it behind such a ridiculous paywall like Paramount. Yeah. Um, I've got Paramount only for the A-League and I, Admittedly, don't watch it as much as I should. Um, nothing else I'd watch is on Paramount. Um, but yeah, like th- there are games like Paramount's crashing during games, and like obviously the streaming service itself probably isn't worth it to a lot of casual fans. So it's pricing out casual fans from Absolutely. from the A League, and it's like, well, I, they obviously can't back out of the deal now because it's a it goes until it's got another few years left to run on it. I think the the rights deal and it's kind of going to be this really interesting talking point, at least to me, how the A-League capitalizes on this, for lack of a better word, momentum that the sport has rebuilt in this country off the back of the World Cup to then people go, oh, how can I watch the A-League? Oh, it's on this like $15 a month streaming service that has nothing else. Yeah, so for me, the biggest thing, I did write a column which was published uh, today about on uh, perthnow.com go read it please uh cut the bs uh and it is uh my, not my name my um editor at the time came up with it and uh yeah well done by him very good name but i kind of basically spoke about how this is the this is the trigger like this needs to be or rather this world cup needs to be a trigger for the game to finally shake off its kind of reputation as a sleeping giant like we can't wait, afford to wait another 12, 16 years for the game to kind of, for this to happen again and the game to go, well, now's the t- now now we're going to give it another shot. It's like, no, it has to happen now. Like it's, the game's popularity in this instant is the most popular it's been in years. They have to leverage this World Cup run and convert it to the domestic game. And I think a big part of what has made this World Cup so amazing from an Australian perspective has been the fan sites and the fan atmosphere, the flares, you know, the colour, the enthusiasm, the passion, uh, the fact that people are willing to get up at ungodly hours to go meet in like public places with, you know, random strangers to cheer on a common cause. Uh, they need to, this needs to be kind of taken back into the A-League. Um, now, there's obviously like, a, I'm sure there are a lot of A-League fans who were, at the live sites um, and there were lots of uh, non-A-League fans who were at the live sites. Like I've got work colleagues. I, like one of my work colleagues um, went to the live game, to the uh, the Argentina game in Perth. Um, she went, she got up at, you know, 2 a.m. Uh, to, to be there for 3 a.m. for the kickoff, which is like, was blew my mind because I don't think, I'm not sure if she'd actually been to a football game before. I'm not like... Uh, so, and then I had another colleague messaging me and going, like, he, he doesn't, like, neither of his colleagues dislike football at all, but they're not, they just don't watch it that often. And yet I had one colleague who went to the live site and another one who was messaging me the night before going, uh, I'm like telling me he was tossing up over whether he was going to go to the live site. So there is something about that atmosphere, which is enticing to people who aren't football fans. So the A-League really needs to leverage that atmosphere bring that atmosphere into games. And I think they're going to convert more fans to the domestic product. The issue in the past has been A-League fans have felt shackled in their attempts to kind of recreate similar atmospheres. They have, you know, like Melbourne victory, there was obviously that big falling out a few years ago where 
A-League fans were annoyed that, you know, security and police were being very heavy-handed in their policing of A-League fans and their, like, attempts to generate atmosphere. And the league didn't do enough to support the fans to the point where Mark Bosnich famously had to chair a meeting between, like, the league, the police and the fans uh, to kind of, you know, ease tensions. Uh, and um, I feel like I, what I, well, I hope that what happens from here is everyone kind of saw the colour of social media videos, how much fun everyone was having. And yes, there were a couple of small idiots. You know, there was a handful of arrests across the entire kind of uh, month of a live site. So not many, like not, we're not talking a handful at each game. We're talking a handful across the entire month. And then you have, you know, yeah, you have idiots kind of throwing flares. Sorry, you have idiots throwing flares, uh, which is obviously not very good. But these are like very minor, okay, like minor instances across the like all four games. And so, if those people can weed, be weeded out, and I think now that you know, there the fact that these like the celebrations and the scenes at like Fed Square were so widely celebrated, not just on social media but in the mainstream media. I'm hoping that kind of opens a door for, you know, the security and, and policing and football Australia to go, okay, we see you, we accept this is how you guys want to do things. We you know, we'll still keep an eye on things. Don't be idiots about it, but we will like we will kind of ease the shackles on fans' attempts to create, you know, a bit of a bit of atmosphere of the stadiums because that for me is a selling point, the atmosphere. And if you can bring what you what we had at Fed Square into the A-League on a regular basis, you're going to get people going to A-League games more often. Yeah. Another thing that, again, I'm just going to skip through a bunch of these points, like connection to government. Uh, I don't, no, I'm not going to talk about that. Um, but one thing that, and I didn't even need this pointed out to me to know that it's a joke, is the fees in like junior soccer and well even like just park soccer now but i guess for argument's sake it's more about junior like the next generation coming through but as an example like me playing division six park football in like northern sydney cost 400 odd bucks a year um and that was you know with a 50 percent chance we'd have a referee that weekend um but I actually didn't even know how expensive, like for a kid playing in the MPL system, how like it's, you know, it can be a couple grand a year. And apparently that money is used to then fund the top of the club. And it's like, well, are you pricing out a bunch of really talented kids just because their families can't afford or validate to spend, you know, 2000, 3000 bucks a year, whatever it might be. For them to play soccer like why not just play a much cheaper sport without such a top-down fee structure um you know like some of the like because i'm just reading this now the way adam peacock's explained it because his son plays mpl um yeah. the fa takes 14 dollars uh of a kid's 15 to 25 25 yeah uh, let's start that again the fa takes 14 dollars of a kid's one and a half to two and a half thousand dollar a season fee playing in the NPL system state feds then take a portion grand fees insurance and club itself some clubs who use the money to pay each team's coach um that seems fair enough uh, and then first team players a little bit ridiculous 
Yeah, it's um, like I've I played state league for a number of years, which is in Perth, which is the leagues below the NPL. And I remember being told like the state league setup is at one of the clubs I was at was um, like it came from a juniors. The club had a huge junior base, so they were not necessarily propping up the senior state league side, but they, you know, they were getting a lot of money from just the junior base, which was being pumped into the state league. Um, it is, it is an issue. Um, it's like, I mean, I've heard like MPL fees as well. I don't have any MPL fees off the top of my head, but you hear stories about people having to pay, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Well, like, I just said it there. It's like two grand yeah. apparently. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what the prices are from a WA perspective, but like you've hit, you hear stories about like, you know, that under 14s are having to pay, you know, like nearly a thousand grand a year. Oh, sorry, not a thousand grand, a thousand dollars. Thousand, thousand grand. That's that's yeah, that's a slightly extortionate. Yeah, but you hear stories about like people cough having to cough up a lot of money for their kids to play at the highest level, and it should it should be you know if you're good enough you should be able to play at the highest level possible. It shouldn't be, you shouldn't be denied the elite pathway because you don't have, you know, because you don't have money. Um, you know, you think of, you know, you think of some of the, some families who kind of, you know, some of the immigrant families who are incredibly talented, like um, if their families don't have the money, you know, because, you know, they're, they're refugees, like, but they're incredibly talented. What are they meant to do, you know? Yeah. Yes. Yep. I, yep. There's a there's a way more um you know articulate way to make that point, but like yeah, the you don't want to be pricing anyone out because you know there are so many uh you know people have so much to offer to the game, and I don't think you really want to. You just like football's for everyone at the end of the day, and you shouldn't be denying anyone a chance to you know chase their dreams on you know. Purely finance for finance, but maybe maybe we'll save that for the communism pod. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like you look at it and you look at um like sports that are, have high participation rates. Like I played like uh, basketball was my main sport growing up. I played soccer on and off, like played for a few years, then stopped, then started again when I was like sixteen. But I was never like that fantastic at it i was much better at basketball you know could have made the league got injured all that sort of stuff um could have uh, had, had trials of a new at the uh the detroit pistons <laughs> no dead so i played like one season of actually this is a tangent played one season of reps when i was like 12 in the under 14s but i didn't really play much that season but then i didn't play reps again until i made the opens like first year out of high school went to the first training session chucked in the bathroom and then just gave it away <laughs> that was it that was me done like i i could say like oh yeah i just wasn't tall enough like no it was really just my complete lack of work ethic and training <laughs> like aversion to training and diet uh all that aside uh i compare football to basketball and it, to me it seems like the overheads to play soccer are just so much lower like you just need basically a, a patch of grass and like a couple of goals or like not even a formal goal. Like you could just have cones realist. Like if you really wanted to get Bush league with it, but like basketball is such a much more specialized space. And it seems, and- yeah. And it seems like utterly 
ridiculous that the fees for both those sports at higher junior levels are just so far apart. Like I wouldn't have paid more than a, I reckon three, 400 bucks to play basketball at, at like my absolute peak, <laughs> which was 12 years old. Yeah. Well, I mean, I paid, I think 600 for state league fees last year. And I'm sure there are, you know, there are a lot of MPL clubs offer it like in WA who are just offering way much, way more money. Um, or saying like, hey, like if you want to play for us, just, you've got to pay double that. And it's it's a shame, you know, because um, uh, like it's like you say, it's just shackling. Kids. And like I know so many people who play uh, like who who's like I know a few parents and most like a lot of kids. Like a lot of parents I know, their kids play basketball because it's like cheap and it's fun and it's like doesn't take up all all, all of your day. And um, that's right. That's right. This seems like quite a good alternative, you know. Um, uh, yeah, the fee the fees is a big one. Like like I said, no one should be priced out of playing, chasing their dreams, and playing a sport at an elite level if their you know if their talent demands it. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to turn this into a pro basketball yeah. like, over football. Even though a, um, that is my personal opinion, but I don't want to. Uh, <laughs> As a Phoenix Suns fan today, I'm. Can we not turn this into a basketball podcast? I'm still uh, coming to terms with what happened against the Boston Celtics earlier. Oh yeah, you got shit mixed, didn't we, you? Yeah, um, yeah. We need, anyway, we need, need to make a trade. Let's uh, let's save that for another pod. <laughs> anyway, anyway, Matt, let's get back on the soccer. Um, yes. I do want to, unless you have any more fee takes. Um, I do have one, like this is this is from like 10 years ago, but my cousin played at a state league under Brad Smith? Not Brad Smith, no. Uh he doesn't actually share my surname. So um my cousin played um for a for an unnamed state league side uh, as an like in under 18s. Um and this is going back about 10 years ago now, but he I believe his fees were like seven hundred, eight hundred dollars. And all that that got them was, I think, like shorts, socks, and a club tie, which they had to wear to every game. Well, they got a tie, fancy. <laughs> La di da, and I know, right? Yeah, like yeah, all that's that's most... taking the proverbial. Like if yeah. you're asking, you know, eighteen year old kids to front up seven hundred, eight hundred dollars, yes, they may be able to rely on their parents, but it's still. Like the fact they're not even getting like a training bag, they're not even getting like a training kit out of it. I think they had to pay. There was something they had to pay for, like off their own back, which should have just been included in the fees. But it's like the fact that they, it's like here is the tie. This is like apparently a four hundred dollar tie or something. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, you yeah. must treasure it and wear it to every like game with a white shirt. Yeah. Well, no, I think yeah, our fees got us here yeah, the shorts and the socks. Um, no, did they? I- no, we had to buy the. I think we still had to pay go uniform shop to buy the socks, or maybe we just had to put in. a... Oh, no, I think you could buy extras. I can't remember. I haven't played for that. I haven't played in a few years since I moved to Tassie. Um, I'm just trying to think. No, we one of my clubs came with golf club membership, but like not actually golf club membership. It was <laughs> you were entitled to like one beer a, a, a week or so. Oh wow! Uh, um, but like we we didn't play or train near the golf club and like, it was just <laughs> that was might bit... be one of the most random perks i've ever heard yeah because i yeah because our club was partnered 
with with the golf club. I don't know the exact specifics. It was just listed on like the the invoice. This sounds as, like a money laundering scheme. As the as the in the fee breakdown, it said like yeah, membership, uh, golf club membership was what I'm pretty sure it said. And then someone asked like, what does that actually get us? And they got back to us like, yeah, but nothing. You get a free beer. I mean, a free beer is a free beer is a free beer. Um, yeah, but you have to go out of your way to go get it, and yeah. it's like, well, it's probably you probably only get like the uh, a Great Northern or something, which I like Great Northern, but I'm not. Oh, I'm not trying. Very, not trying. <laughs> very, not, very much not my uh, go. Yeah, I don't think they're going to offer you the free stone and wood every week. Yeah, I would. I would rather just suck on a pebble. I think than uh, <laughs> put a great, great, uh, great Northern. Anywhere near my mouth, I detest that beer. All right, geez, relax. It's not that serious. Um, <laughs> okay, let's look ahead to two World Cups. But first, we'll start with we'll just keep it on the men's. Um, but let's start with or look ahead to twenty twenty six. And I think one of the underrated aspects of this World Cup has been that a lot of the squad is at least a lot of the key members of the squad are still pretty young, like not even in their primes yet. And you project, what, three and a half years into the future. And, you know, guys like uh, Sutar and Rolls will both be, you know, 28. Um, Prostich will be 30. Bacchus will be 28. Devlin will be 28. McGree will be 28. Garen Quo will be 22. Um, <laughs> that's uh, that, that's very scary. Um like a lot of these key guys coming through, like this this World Cup was just like the the introduction. Like you you'd hope, and look, development's not linear. But in four years' time, like that they've kicked on and that they've kicked on and that like they're key members of their squad. And like I'm just really excited to see the other guys that didn't make the squad in four years' time, like Dennis John Rowe, and like Denny John Rowe, Connor Metcalf. Um, even a uh, even a Luke like a great the greatest time in uh, Stuttgart, but you know he hopefully he's someone he's still quite young. Hopefully he can kick on. And then there's you know A League guys like I mentioned, Jordy Boss and Jacob Farrell and um, Callum Talbot, but also guys like Callum Newenhoff I really like Patrick Yaz- Yazbek, uh, Josh Rawlins, uh, ex Perth Glory, who's over in, at FC Twente in the Netherlands now, and Joe Gauchy. Yeah, Joe Gauchy's. I think he's a very. Pro- I I reckon he may even be starting at the next World Cup, um, uh, depending on who's uh, depending on who's who's the coach, and you know whether Mitch Langerak ever returns to the Socceroos after <laughs> his, his admission, which you know if Graham Arnold continues as as coach, we might not ever see. We might not see. Yeah, we might not ever see Mitch Langerak in a Socceroos jersey again, which is yeah. really Br- sad. Yeah. Um, um, but, yeah, yeah, Bruno Fornaroli still be around. But, yeah. Um, yeah, a couple of other options. I'm sure there's a few like Scottish people who, yeah, like, yeah. have played youth have been born and raised in Scotland, but have like a grandmother who was born in Melbourne or something, and so they're going to be starting for us in four in three and a half years' time. Yeah, but also like there are other guys in midfield that I'm kind of keen to see how they go over the next few years, like Yanni Stensness and yeah. and someone who I was really irrationally upset that they didn't make their debut in the New Zealand friendlies was Tyrese Francois. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever seen Francois play. I have no gauge over what he is or like how he plays or, you so know. So he's on, yeah, he's on loan in Croatia from Fulham. Um, from everything I've seen of him, which is admittedly very um, 
minimal. Um, pretty small central midfielder. Looks kind of like a bit of a box-to-box or an engine kind of guy. But that's a very vague assessment based on a couple of highlights and Oliver's games that I've like caught snippets of. Right. So there's, your, there's your scouting report. Tyrese Francois, golden ball, lock it in. Yeah, he's also eligible for England and Mauritius, but he said he wants to play for Australia. So that's good. Um, speaking oh, of like talented midfielders, Alex uh, Robertson is kind of a bit of a wild card in all of this. He's a he's on Manchester City's. Board. Yes, there's there's one of the overseas brigade. I forgot. Um, I have no gauge on again. Like, oh, neither. He's obviously on Manchester City's books, but I've no gauge on whether he, you know, how Australian he feels. You know, like he might. I know he's <laughs> for Australian, but. Is this going to be a kind of um, a bit of a different situation where he, you know, he's eligible for Scotland and England as well? Yeah, I, like, I love how it's like born yeah. in Scotland to an Australian father, plays for England. Yeah, that so would be, that would be the most English thing is like Jack Grealish and Declan Rice, uh, kind of uh, similar, somewhat similar areas. Um, you know, we might have, you know, in four years' time, who knows, maybe Christian Volpato kind of, feels like apparently he was in sydney like, yeah I, I was gonna say i was gonna bring that up yeah he was at the star and at tumbalong park yeah which is which the is, darling harbour live site that's really cool to see like um you know i i didn't hold it against him that he kind of did no. opportunity he's only 19 he's got his whole future yeah ahead of him um and he obviously you know it feels very much in touch with his italian heritage and i can't imagine how tough a decision it would be for, to kind of make that call Right now, maybe in three years, it hasn't happened for him with the Italian team. He obviously still has a lot of love for Australia, otherwise he wouldn't be at the live sites, you know. Um, and maybe they will convince him. Maybe three, three and a half years from now, he's playing regular minutes in in Europe and is, you know, pl- starting for the Socceroos and sits down in an interview and says, you know, this World Cup was a turning point for me because I could have gone and I didn't. And then everyone, like, I was back home. And it, the live sites convinced me. Like, that would be one of the coolest stories ever. So, yeah, it would. I'm also just reading Alex Robinson, also eligible for Peru. So there's something Ooh. funny. There yeah, was... I, I remember hearing that ages ago, but I don't think I actually ever... It's one of those things you forget exists. Yeah. I had actually heard of Robertson in the, like, portal of foreigners who are eligible. Um, the other one, Alessandro Ciccati. Yes, that's a... That's an interesting one because he's his so his dad played in Italy for a long time and then I think played a few games for Perth Glory at the end of his career, um, and so I think Sakati was born in Perth, but he nah he was born in Italy but moved to Perth for his yeah. dad. Um, so I get the sense that he is quite um like Italian. Like I get from what I've heard, he is very like. He comes from a very Italian family. He feels more Italian than Australian. So I don't know. Again, that might be very similar to Volpato where, you know, we have a, we have a, he could very much play for Socceroos, but he maybe feels more Italian and wants to pursue that. So, um, you know, it's a bit of a pipe dream one, I guess. And um, someone else who we completely forgot to to talk about was uh, Nestor Irankunda, who's 16 and ripping up the A-League with Adelaide. He is, he's just fun to watch, man. Like, I still, I, you know, he's maybe it's just because he's like super athletic and does somersaults, but he is just like he can put some sauce on the ball. He he has an absolute like cannon for a for a foot. Um, there's a bit of a thread on Twitter. I don't know if you're aware of a Twitter account Aussie Scout. Uh, 
I might have seen it in passing, but not formally. Um, so yeah, Aussie Scout did a big thread on kind of um a few young uncapped Australia-based players who he thought might be, you know, by the time 2026 rolls around, it could be a mess. So Kai Truen was one, Cal Neuenhoff, who I think's fantastic. Um, can't believe Sydney let him go, especially to Western Sydney. He's just a really good player. <laughs> Joe Gauchi as well. Aiden O'Neill, I kind of I not too like I don't think Aiden O'Neill is ever going to be a soccerer. Um from what I've seen of him. Geordie Boss, uh, who's, you know... Someone, yeah, someone else we forgot, Daniel Arzani. Yeah, Arzani as well. Like, he'll only be 27 in the next World Cup. Um, if he has, you know, has a really good A-League season this year and ends up back in Europe in four years' time, or even if he's just, you know, the best player in the A-League in four years' time, you know, he might be going to that World Cup. And he's, you know, as we saw in the last World Cup, like, he, he's, he can play at that level. And, yeah, and another very, 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 very left field suggestion is Liam Chipperfield. Yeah, he's um. So, he's, what's the deal? He's obviously Scott Chipperfield's son. son. Um, so he's like Swiss, isn't he? Like he born and raised in Basel, yeah, or in yeah. Switzerland. So I think he's played for the Swiss. Um, yeah, under he seems like the most far away out of all of the. Yeah. Like he he apparently is like properly Swiss. That's very interesting. Yeah. Which is it just I know it's like happens all the time the other way where you've seen like uh children of immigrants play for Australia, like with all with like you know Sudanese names and Italian names, and it's just so like I'm used to it from that point of view. It's just gonna be funny the other way around, like to see a chipper field playing for Switzerland in like 10 years' time. Yeah. Like it's, it's just like Zaka Shakiri Chipperfield. Oh, what a what well he's a left back, isn't he? Like his dad. So yeah. it'd be more like, you know, a kanji and um another Swiss center back that I can't think of off the top of my head. Um, um another one as well. No, while we're on the topic of former soccerers uh with sons, uh Paul Ocon Jr. is in the uh Benfica Academy at the moment. Oh, he's got Portugal written all over him then. Yeah. Although like Ocon, I don't know, Ocon kind of came back to Australia for a few years and then he was obviously had a pretty good career in Europe. I think he was in he was in Belgium for a lot for a while. So that again, that's an interesting one. Um I mean some of these kids might never pan pan out. Like I remember when like five, ten years ago, all the hype was around guys like, you know, Casper Tafta and that's going back a bit more than 10 years. Casper Tafta there is a name. Casper Tafta, like 15 years ago, Casper Tafta was the next big thing. I mean like 10 years ago it was like um Panos Armenicus, I think his name is, um, who was in like the Greek second division and was like 18 at the time. And he never really, um, I think he'd had some sort of like contract with an Italian team at some point. And it was like, oh, this kid might be something. And he's obviously never really featured in Socceroos plans. Um, so yeah, it's, you, you never know with kids like how they're going to develop. There's probably some kid we haven't mentioned who's going to be starting for the Socceroos for like the next World Cup who just comes out of nowhere. Me. Yeah. There's still hope for us. Yeah. How, how old will I be? Uh, 26. I'll be, I'll be 30. Jeez. Don't think about it. <laughs> Just don't think about it. I, I turned, I turned 28 in uh, about three weeks and it's, uh, it's slightly terrifying. Yeah. No, we won't talk about it. <laughs> um, Have we missed? This is like the exact. I've seen everyone's seen that meme, right? It's like dudes can sit around for hours just naming 
spoilers people yeah yeah like that, that's effectively what we've done i remember posting that in a group chat once uh a group chat full of dudes and, and it spawned the yeah, and the rest of the day we were just mentioning like as uh, like random sports guys it was a self-fulfilling prophecy um yeah maybe someone who was a bit unlucky not to be in this squad is someone we mentioned before but uh denny genre yeah um i don't think he did his chances much help uh, I, mean, I think he he obviously was really good in France, uh, li- uh, second division, Ligue Trois. Yeah, Ligue Trois. Uh, and he hasn't really. I think he's struggled for game time in uh, Ligue 1. Uh, yeah, he's played eight league games, but yeah. that's just based on Wikipedia. I don't know how many actual minutes. I think he played a lot off of, a lot of those have been off the bench. I'm not sure he's started many games, which is a shame. And I don't. I think the New Zealand game as well. Um, in New Zealand, he. It was one of those games where it's like I could tell that I liked him as a player by the things he was trying to do. But <laughs> he didn't actually do any of them well. It was like the idea he had good ideas, but the execution was bad and he kept turning the ball over. Um and I think that kind of ended his World Cup dreams there and then. Like I, I think if he'd played well in that game, it may he may have had a more compelling case. But when you, you know, like you could I could see like what was going through his brain. I'm like, I like the fact he's trying to play the ball forward. I like the fact he's trying to put that ball into that area, but he keeps losing possession and that's costing the team effectively. And you, you know, at the end of the day, like if you, if you're a midfielder who keeps turning over the ball, you're not going to get picked very hmm. much. And then Connor Metcalf. Metcalf's another one. And uh, he's obviously playing with Jackson Irvine in, uh, in Bundesliga too. And he's, I think I've, yeah, I think I quite like Metcalf. He's already played for the Socceroos a couple of times. Um, I like his kind of ability to kind of bring the ball forward from deep. Uh, yeah, I, he he's got he's a promising player. I think he's already scored a few times for St. Pauli as well. So uh, good for him. Uh, I like him a lot too. And I'm just really I'm banking on my football manager <laughs> playing now. Uh, another guy that could be in the picture in a few is Luca Persho. Yeah, what what has happened to Luca Persho? He's at um, victory now. Yeah, um, he needs to kick on because I think he's been. This is his third A League club by the time he's twenty one. Uh, because I don't think he's I, he was in Newcastle and then he, you know, he didn't really. We well, didn't play at all for Phoenix last year. Yeah, he, well, that's the thing. He barely played for Phoenix. Like, we well, didn't. No, he didn't play at all. Didn't play. Was, yeah, exactly. He went there, couldn't get in. Um which is a real shame um, because they're obviously like big raps on him, but he hasn't really. Yeah. I remember him from the Jets, play. not so much from, well, obviously not from Phoenix because he never, you know, yeah. Played, played, but yeah. I would, I'd love to see Stephen Ugarkovich get a uh, soccer jersey at some point because I'd like, he has been the best Australian central midfielder in the A-League for a while. He's 28 now. So, I mean, it's not out of a realms of possibility that he's at the next world cup. Um, D'Agostino. Yeah, Dagestan's another one. Chris Economides for me is the one where I think he's just a tremendously talented player. Um, that's that first season he had at Perth, he was just so good. Um, and even even this season at Melbourne Victory, he started off the season really well. He is just like so close. Like he has that rare kind of poise on the ball from an Australian attacker in the final third, and just has like just a very kind of unselfish runner will make, will always make the run, even if he knows he's not going to get the ball just to try and drag defenders out of position. Uh, I, I really like him. Um, and I think he's someone who, you know, probably world cup was probably a bit too soon for him because, you know, he didn't 
he's been coming off the bench a bit for Melbourne victory, but I think Asian Cup next year is going to be like he could he, if he continues his form um this A League season, I think he will be someone we talk about as a you know roughy for the Asian Cup squad. And I still think that he, you know, he played at the Asian Cup last time as well and didn't didn't disgrace himself at all. No, and he was in the squad for the Peru uh, well for those, you know, the playoffs. So yeah. he was definitely in around the picture. Um, and you know, there's a couple of other younger attackers like, you know, Ben Falami and um, Brandon Borello. He's a bit older. Um, maybe he could have played more soccer games, but hasn't. Yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, I think it's really up to them at this point. Like, I think that the door is wide open for all of them if they want to take it. It's just, you know, for one reason or another, they haven't maybe met their, well, more Borello. Um, you know, although, you know, the fact he's back in the A-League after he kind of went over to Germany is somewhat disappointing. But, you know, hey, there's no reason he can't, you know, either become a very, very good A-League player or go back over to Europe. Yeah. Um, and I feel like we should end on end the rant, naming random dudes section with uh, Tom Rogic. Yeah. And, you know, Rogic isn't going to be too old, I think, of the next World Cup. 32, 33. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's crazy that he's like, he seems older than that. I would have said he was 32 at, at the moment. Yeah. Uh, he's still in his 20s. Yeah. Um, that, um, you know, him. Missing the the do or die World Cup qualifiers just was he had a really bad few months where you know he pulled out of his squad for personal reasons and you know um I don't know what those personal reasons are I'm not going to criticize him for pulling out of his squad no. for personal reasons um it coincided with him deciding to leave a pretty safe uh job at self at Celtic. Um, and it just hasn't, nothing seems to have worked out for him since. So that really sucks. Cause I remember that Vietnam qualifier, I think it was in like February or March where um, Rogic was, you know, I know it was only Vietnam, but Rogic was the best player on the pitch by so far. It was one of his best games for the Socceroos. And again, you know, he was came against like very inferior opposition, but he was just taking the proverbial that night. He was <laughs> so good. That was like one of the better individual performances from a Socceroo in the qualifying campaign I can remember. And it's just a shame he didn't get to go to another World Cup because he's like such a he's a player I really enjoy watching. It sucks that he's kind of went, gone from Celtic under Ange, um, where he you know he was beloved at Parkhead. Um, the fact that he's ended up at West Brom and kind of hasn't really found his feet yet is a bit sad. Um, like I hope he can find his feet at West Brom, and you know because the Championship is a good league. I but yeah, like again, if. He's there in, in three and a half years' time in a World Cup, so it won't be surprised at all because he's a very talented player. No. Uh, and that concludes uh, random uh, naming random Socceroos or potential Socceroos or future Socceroos. Socceroos bolters. Yeah. Oh, we love a bolter in this country. We absolutely... I mean, is, why do I feel like there's a third... Oh, um, the Toure brothers as well. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um. Yeah, are they, are, they, like, are they both in France or is it just um? Al Hassan is okay. So Mohammed's in with Reims, is it? That's right. Yeah. How is he, how is he doing? Because I know Al Hassan is obviously with um Macarthur at the moment. Um, I'm, I, all I'm going to do is give you his Wikipedia stats. That's all I can <laughs> offer. 
He's yeah, played, like, he's played four games for the B team. Yeah, okay. Um, I hope he does well. He, Al Has, like Mo, kind of. I remember Al Hassan just like burst onto the scene, but then yeah. he kind of didn't really do anything. He had like a good, really good like three months, and then it became clear that Mo might be the better brother. Um, but there's still, you know, Al Hassan's only 22 years old. He's still got a lot of time. And while we're on the topic of brothers, um, apparently there's another Kual brother who's like not, like he was better than both Alu and Garang, which well, is- Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, I swear um, there's a third one. But there's both, also a third- like, there's Both like- of them have said like, he's real. I think he's like 12 or something, or he's a teenager at the moment. So he's still a few years off, but they reckon he's just- Two. Both, both yeah. his older brothers are like, yeah, he's like even better than us, which is- like those guys are not, I wouldn't say they're like not humble, but they're very much like they seem, they kind of not, I feel like they know how good they are. So the fact that <laughs> the younger brother is like better than them is like, oh God, this kid might be like the second coming or something. Yeah. Uh, there's also another Turo brother who's 17. That's right. Yes. But, uh, he's he's still at Adelaide, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you say the, um, you say that Alu and Garang think that the third brother's better than them. We we heard all that with the Hazard brothers, like how every brother coming along was better than the last. And it turns out, oh no, Eden Hazard was quite comfortable with the best footballer in that family. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's the opposite of the uh, the Selwood complex for all the AFL listeners out there. Oh, you AFL media just have to insert <laughs> yourself into everything, don't you? Yep, it's uh, yeah, those Selwood boys. But man, imagine if those Selwood boys had played for the Socceroos, mate. Wow. I was I was going to bring this up and I completely forgot. So I'm glad you remember. Did you saw the messy Scott Pendlebury thing, right? Yes, it was. That was uh, Matthew Camito who made that joke. That is one of the funniest things I've seen. I uh, I sent it to a colleague who sat next to me and he burst out laughing about ten seconds after I said it to him. I didn't tell him I was sending him something. I just was. I just sent it to him on Twitter. Ten seconds later, I just hear him burst out laughing. It was it's... well played, Matthew Camito. It's one of the best tweets I've seen in a long time. Oh, so it's it's a joke, is it? And we've all been fooled. Oh, wait, hang on, hang on. Oh, you mean the SEN one? Yeah, that's what I mean. The S- yeah, no, I did see that. Um, yes, so the SEN tweet was, uh, that was obviously pathetic. And then- um, <laughs> I haven't seen this joke. Please send me this joke. Matthew Camito. Uh, was, Matthew, yeah, it was a it was a wonderful joke. Um, it's, no, I was just going to say, I, this, I did, my this favorite is great part for of- podcast. Yeah. This is great for- uh, I won't react to it now, but like my favorite, my favorite part of that SEN clip was someone got like, I know cross sport comparisons are a thing. We can't kill them, but I did enjoy how he's like, now I'm not saying he's on the level of stardom as Messi, but he'd be close. And at that point, that's when I was like, brother, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be fair, Scott, Pe- Scott Pendlebury has never had an AFL game interrupted by Argentina dropping their national team friend. <laughs> I just saw that. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. That's good. Yeah. So that's obviously based off the SEN clip. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, <sighs> why? Yeah. Well, I think we know why. Um, I mean, we, you know, I mean, yeah, Paddy Bill's scared and they're trying to steal the uh, attention away. And I'd love the AFL, but it's just like, you guys look like idiots. Um, Paddy Mills look- would not be a boomer if it wasn't for Scott Penderbury giving up his spot at the AIS. Yes. Um, yeah, you this this podcast just devolved into random oh, tangents, yeah. but but also, yeah, the AFL releasing their round one schedule at like during the Socceroos game at like six AM on a Sunday morning. Like, do you have no shame? Oh, obviously not. 
No, well, no. I think we knew that. That was more a rhetorical question. <laughs> okay, I think that's enough tangents. <laughs> uh, now, as usual, we'll do the section where we let you plug. Uh, yep. Um, so my Twitter is at bensmith94. Uh, I write for West Australian and Perth Now. Um, I've got my Cup of BS column as a form the aforementioned column, which comes out every Thursday in Perth Now local. Oh my god, I just got it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, give me a follow on Twitter, I guess. If you know, I'm getting a lot of follow. I've been getting a lot of follows since I started doing this podcast. They're all from bots, so I assume that they're um, you have a lot of, <laughs> just a lot of random bots who listen. Uh, oh, we're big in Russia. <laughs> big in Russia, that's good. Big in Russia, big in Ukraine. Actually, one of them was called Big in Russia. Was it actually? No. Oh, sorry. I'm still getting over my shame at only just realizing that cut the BS reference. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's pretty bad for me because, like, yeah, I, I don't know. It's tired. It's it's like I just said it's tired. That's how late it is, and that's how tired I'm getting. Let's let's wrap it up. <laughs> uh, obviously, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Beyond T Fence. Um, catch it on Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Leave a rating or a review. Share it. DM me and tell me how shit it is. All that stuff. Uh, Beyondthefence.com.au for written stuff. Haven't written anything since before the Argentina game, and I probably won't because it's not my full-time job, so I can afford to be lazy with it. Other than that, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.